0: It's July 22, 1995, and You Oughta Know by Alanis Morissette is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Chart. Hello and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Al. I'm Trav.
1: I'm Quillen, and this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994.
2: Today we'll be talking about You Ought to Know, the first single from Alanis Morissette's third album, Jagged Little Pill.
0: You Oughta Know spent five weeks at number one and is the first of many times Alanis Morissette will top the charts. this song rocks
2: Yep. but in a in an unexpected way right
0: I was waiting for Aquilins to to third that the song rocks
1: uh I mean uh the chorus is loud yeah
0: the song rocks
1: yeah (laughs) uh
2: maybe he didn't hear you one more
0: time (laughs) This song rocks. Uh, This
1: isn't my favorite Alanis Morissette song.
0: Okay. Um, What stands out to you? What what, what does stand out to you about this song?
1: uh, Yeah, the dynamics. um, This definitely has a loud, you know, a quiet, loud, quiet, loud uh, structure. Um, The bass, which I did not know, was performed by Flea.
0: Neither did um, I.
1: Yeah, I did not know that. Uh the, I that on the album like the song starts with like shittily played bass before starting the song, right? It, what what am I hearing at the very beginning of the song? There are
0: a couple different mixes. I It's a I, weird I, thing to me.
1: What what I There, there are heard some
0: it. interesting notes played in the bass before the full beat kicks in. Mhm.
1: Mhm yeah definitely I don't know. it was weird uh, it's a farty flea bass sound um and Dave Navarro plays guitar too uh he sure does yeah i I didn't know any of that stuff um i yeah, I'll just get into it like i uh I was looking forward to listening to this song and uh listening to this album and um i don't wanna I don't wanna get too far ahead of myself, so I'm trying to restrain um but I will say, uh, I cannot wait to talk about like everything else about this album and the other singles aside from you. I do know. Um, okay. which I, I didn't hate it. I, I, I don't hate you. I do know. I just think it's, uh, on an album that I was surprised by how much I enjoyed listening to it. Um, and, and how good so much of it is. Um. It, this just was like a weaker song for me. Um, there are cool things about it. Like I said, the dynamics and um, it, the the chorus is fine. I don't like the, um, like the two note back and forth melody during the first half of the verses. And then like when the vocals become more rhythmic and, and faster paced, I like that part. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just like, splitting hairs uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this was a fine a fine song um and i think she has much much better
0: ones i think this is if not the best song on the album it's the second best song on the album damn um the vocals are really unique she's got a really powerful attitude i don't think there's any denying that i think it's a pretty great arrangement They, they started with a demo, uh, Glenn Ballard, who we'll have to talk about a little bit more, um, co-wrote the song and, and, and put together a demo with the Lannis set. and, um, Dave Navarro and Flea were brought on. It sounds like when the song was still pretty raw to put their own little imprints on it. And they both, I think, did some really cool things with it. I mean... Uh, will uh, will probably share please bass soloed, but it's it's pretty excellent. Uh, and I'm saying that as a, a Red Hot Chili Pepper skeptic, um, the bass playing is pretty excellent. But uh, when I do like Red Hot Chili Peppers, I I, I do like the One Hot <laughs> Minute stuff actually with Dave Navarro. I like that better than the stuff with John Frusciante. Mm. And uh, there are, are some some great Dave Navarro bits on this song with that tremolo. I don't know if that tremolo effect is him or if that's Glenn Ballard, but, um, the bridge for sure has a very, uh, one hot minute by the red hot chili peppers. Yeah. feel. Oh, interesting. It feels very much like mm. the, it feels a lot like aeroplane. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much cool stuff going on with the, the activity of the bass and the vocals in particular, uh, I, this song's so intense, and and I think it's just great. I think it's worth worth kind of like,
2: it's worth something that we didn't know that this was Flea playing bass until we started
0: looking into mm-hmm.
1: it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I um, was aware of Flea as a bassist. You know, <laughs> that's like, so surprising to me then that and,
0: none of the three of us would know that this was Flea yeah, playing bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wasn't really
2: like, you know fleeing it up right Mm -hmm. um whereas like i do know i like a few years ago i had heard hand in my pocket and like heard the bass and i was like that's weird like there's something weird about the bass playing here and i can't i i won't even really try to get into it right now because yeah we'll have i haven't looked into it at all right right um but on you ought to know like the bass is i'm not really paying attention to it but there's an isolated bass track on YouTube of flea playing the bass and it is busy and wild. I think so. I think it's it, the, um, the thing that's always stood out to me about the song is that, um, I remember, I remember when it came out and I remember everybody saying how, how hard of a song this was, how hard it went, how, you know, the song rocks, like you said, right Al. <laughs> and, um, I remember being like, I, I probably in, in the early days of this song as a single being like, yeah, this really rocks. And then I, I got a little bit older and, and learned more and heard more and was exposed to, to more songs and, and different things. And I was like this You know like the arrangement is not really Like conventionally like A hard rock song You know there's not the Les Pauls And the Marshall Stacks And the guitars don't sound like ACDC And it doesn't sound like you know Like a conventional sort of like rock thing And and for a while um, I think I was hearing that um, uh, Based on I was hearing the song Through like rock history and i don't think that was potentially like, like i think i was kind of cheating myself to not to mm-hmm. not hear it for what it was because her performance is so wild and fierce and uh just absolutely badass like there are mm-hmm. also isolated tracks of her vocal performance and it is um intense the yeah. breathing just mm-hmm. listening to her yeah. breathe yeah. in between, like, her singing is, yeah, just very intense.
1: No, and every time you
2: speak her name, does she know how you told me it held me until you died? Till you died, but I'm still alive, and I'm here to remind you of the mess you and, um And it was in one take, too which is also wild. Like her mm. performance on this track is one take. um, And so it was, I, I regret not having been more open to hearing what a hard rock song might be like in a presented in a different way.
0: Yeah. And when you say it's, it's hard, the, the a helpful context might be, that even though I think Alanis is shedding a lot of her sort of her teen stardom um, style, because she had had two albums in Canada before this, one of which went platinum in Canada. Um, that first album is, which was just recorded under the name of Alanis, it's New Jack Swing. It's like the entire thing is really New Jack Swing. And I made the note when I was listening to this song that this is like closer in DNA to Janet Jackson than it is to Nirvana. Um, you know, if you think about something like Rhythm Nation, like that to me is a very heavy song with that new Jack Swing vibe. And I, I don't, this song doesn't necessarily have that same drum groove that's associated with new Jack Swing, but it is a. It, the the heaviness of it is not necessarily a rock heaviness. It is a it's a a, a funk heaviness, partially and an R and B heaviness. I think hmm. um, that that is brought to it by all of the people involved.
2: Yeah, it definitely falls under a pop category, and I feel like um, when when I listen to the song, I can feel. I can feel the force of it. But when I listen to the isolated vocal, I feel like 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 my hair is being blown back
0: mm-hmm.
2: by her vocals. It's so so strong. <laughs>
0: zoom out a little bit what are your general feelings about Alanis Morissette and what you heard on the radio as a kid I think she's um, when I yeah when I was a
2: kid when this first came out it was um, very exciting I remember my strongest memory of this song specifically was that it came out so this is actually from like July I think that's when it hit number one Mm -hmm um yeah, july ninety five so. which is kind of crazy because I don't think it really hit um where I was at until like September or october like i don't I, I remember not hearing it until um the October fest at our local Catholic church where we would have like carnival rides and things like that, and so we went out and I remember leading up to that having like that song picking up a little bit of steam where um you know, we were talking about it at school and things like that. And then, like, we went to this, this sort of carnival thing and it was being played there. And we were all like, this song is f- awesome <laughs> and just so psyched about it. And. Um, but, yeah, that was like three months later, you know, um, so I, I just I remember her being a, a, a different. Sort of artist that we could all get excited about, um, that it was a cool thing to like, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's about it.
1: I think my f- the first song I heard, uh, was actually Hand in My Pocket, um, and I didn't love it, but I didn't like dislike it. I think I was just like, oh, whatever, this is kind of a weird. Song with a weird, you know, weird vocalist, like, uh, her vocal styling was weird to me at the time. And, um, and then I think it was ironic after that for me, I don't think I heard you had to know until much later. Um, mm-hmm. and with ironic, I, I liked ironic, um, when I was a kid and, um, spoiler alert, still do very much. um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, other, like beyond that, uh, all, all the other singles, I don't know. I, I don't think I really like hated any of them, but she just was not much on my radar and I just didn't care. Um, and I don't really know why that is. Um, I don't like saying that. I don't like admitting that. Um, but there some was... of the other
0: singles don't really qualify as rock songs at all
1: yeah yeah that's true but i i just like yeah i just uh i don't know it, it just wasn't my style i guess and um yeah i, I really don't want to go too much further before we i, I yeah well, i know like, we've, there's we've a lot to talk about here we'll a couple more
2: episodes here <laughs> she also so they she i think she performed this on uh saturday night live Oh, on cool. October 28th, 1995. And that I remember that being one of the very first times I watched Saturday night live hmm. as it was on. Um, And I think like, like her performance was one of the reasons where I was like, I'm going to watch this because hmm. I want to see her. Who do you think this song is about? <laughs> Coolier, <laughs> Right. I mean, that's it. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Coulier, otherwise known as Uncle Joey on Full House, has acknowledged that um, some details in the lyrics hit close to home with him. So it does seem likely that this is about his relationship with Alanis Morissette.
1: Did, did you remember, like, that, was that a thing that you were aware of? previously or or? not as a kid
0: i was
2: not Not as a a kid kid. but i mean i i feel like a few years after it kind of became like common knowledge Mm -hmm. that the song was about dave coulier which i just can't figure out this song (laughs) this album came out (laughs) she was like 21 when this came out she was writing it when she was 20 and 19 and like coulier was an old man Mm -hmm. he's never been cool Mm -hmm. and he's 17 years older than her and like, what, what was,
0: what was the appeal there? I don't, I don't know. Have you ever seen him act out, uh, Wizard of Oz as a one man play? <laughs> no. It takes a lot of props, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, it does make you understand what a young Alanis Morissette might've seen in him. <laughs>
2: oh my God.
0: But it's cl- clearly about an axe. <laughs> right. And, you think? um, yeah, yeah.
2: um, <laughs> She was, she went on a, a nice kind of run about like standing up to uh to people on yeah. this album. You know, going after her ex, going after people from her label, going after the church. Um yeah, she was really like insightful and strong and wise for being so young mm-hmm. to call people out like this.
0: Yeah. So I I guess a little bit of background about her she again had recorded two albums. One was a dance pop album that went platinum in Canada. She was on a, a Canadian sort of talent show called What's It Called? You Can't Do That on Television? It was like a
2: sketch comedy show. It was okay. basically like laughing for kids. Sure. On Canada. Yeah. Okay. Canada. But it was, it was on, it started as like a public access show in Ottawa. And then it got moved to Toronto and then Nickelodeon and it was on for like a decade or maybe more. And I remember watching a lot of it, not seeing a lot of more Alanis Morissette, but um, I watched a lot of it and it was, it was kind of funny. I even checked it out recently and it was like pretty funny and kind of irreverent and uh, at, at times mean spirited and, and weird. Um, but yeah. Cool.
0: Well, I, I, it's definitely very fascinating to watch her early music videos. So I would highly recommend checking out some of those earlier music videos from the beginning of her career. Um, but what changed on this is that the, the uh, label decided to, to pair her up with co-writer and producer Glenn Ballard, who had previously made his name by working with Wilson Phillips. And they promptly Began writing songs together And still to this day, Alanis Morissette says Most of these songs were written in 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. um, Written very quickly <laughs> And uh, she and and Ballard worked together Lots of um, drum machine uh, You know, a, a guitar Harmonica um, To me, the sound of Jagged Little Pill At its best is about the drum machine guitar harmonica. Um, And in fact, I would say that on Jagged Little Pill, I guess we'll have to talk about the album a little bit more in a little bit, but um, the quality of the song is directly proportional to the amount of drum machine on the song (laughs) as my experience uh, with Alanis. Like the more drum machine, the better. The, the song. more drum machine, the better. Yeah, and, oh. and the songs that have totally acoustic drums are just—they're not good at all, mm. frankly. Um, wow. Alanis did very, very well at the Grammys. She experienced a lot of commercial success. She did uh, go up for Song of the Year, but she lost to Seal for "A Kiss from a Rose," <laughs> wow. which. <laughs> we won't we won't mourn here, although right. um, we're impressed by Alanis. So this song spent five weeks at number one. Um, that was the longest for a female artist until Lord. So that's a long run on the alternative chart. Um, mm. what when when did Royals come out? Was that like five? Five years ago or 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe right in between. Yeah. So anyway, that's a, that's a long, long run. Five weeks at number one um, for a female artist. Um, she was also, she won Grammy Album of the Year uh, at 21, and she was the youngest artist to win Album of the Year Uh, Until Taylor Swift won at 20. How about the video? Any particular insights about the music video?
1: Uh, Kind of a letdown after uh, last week's video. Um, Sure. Just like desert shenanigans, right? Um, And Taylor Hawkins was there.
0: Uh, yeah, Taylor Hawkins playing drums. Uh, Flea and Dave Navarro not playing no, bass and guitar. No. This is her touring band in the video.
2: Mm-hmm. Taylor Hawkins sucks. <laughs> Are you, you just know saying why. that sure. because you he's know associated <laughs> with Dave Krull? Yep. <laughs> okay. He's like, uh, yeah, no, he sucks.
0: Yeah, the video is a good display for Alanis's intensity, but other than that there's not a whole lot to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well then we'll have to talk about the album, which has three alternative number one hits and three top 40 number one hits. Massive, massive record.
1: Yeah. I forgot that there were what? Six, yeah. Six singles. Right
0: six singles yeah and they all did pretty well what did you think listening back
1: i really liked it i like really liked the album um yeah i uh
0: did you own it when you were a kid no
1: no i didn't care i didn't care yeah Hmm. um yeah uh some of the like album tracks were not great but some of them were pretty good um and my notes i have uh i like the the song perfect
2: sometimes
1: it's never quite enough
2: if you're
1: a little bit corny um but um nice sentimental acoustic guitar music um
0: yeah that one's sort of about parents expecting uh their kids to do amazing things
1: sure um i liked um right through you um which i thought was a single um but that song rocked uh acoustic guitar octaves um which is a cool move <laughs> maybe sometimes uh in this uh context it is cool um i liked the like the last couple songs not the doctor and wake up um i liked those songs uh they had some real jars of clay vibes for me and uh <laughs> i was cool with that um you know like uh, acoustic electric guitar mix with uh electronic beat um It was cool. Uh, and yeah, like, like I said, um, this song is my, I I don't hate it. I don't think it's a bad song, but it is my least favorite of the singles. All of the other, other singles are just awesome. And, uh, I guess it makes for a really good album for me. Like I just, I will revisit it. I will go back to it and I will spend time with it. And maybe it will become something in my regular
2: rotation
0: Trav, what did you think of the album? I
2: also really liked this album. I um, had maybe not spent enough time with it prior to this to know it well enough for what it is. Um, you know, at the beginning of the the podcast, we talked about what we thought would be, um, you know, our highest rated multiple um, uh, number one band or band with multiple number one hits i regret not and picking
1: Alanis. me I too kind of like immediately because am after that.
2: after spending time with this i'm like oh these songs are so much better than whatever i picked yeah. you know like hmm. the the whole album i think is really really good it's consistently good all the way through there mm-hmm. are different high points in it um quillen you mentioned perfect i remember i have this very vivid memory of you know we talk about uh seventh eighth grade basement parties um, and somebody putting perfect on, and I have no idea what the song is. And all of the, the girls I was friends with singing that song and knowing like all of the words and it really mm. like having this strong impact with them. And interesting. Um, That's cool. It was just really like sweet, kind of beautiful moment mm. um that I, I just remember and I could still kind of see like how that would that would impact somebody who's thirteen or fourteen years old and the expectations that somebody has of like Especially probably teenage girl Of being like kind of the peacemaker And somebody who just makes everything right And doesn't rock the boat And things like that um, And I just Am so impressed by how she uh, How Alanis like Just hit the nail on the head with that mm-hmm. That was a really cool thing My favorite song in the album is Right Through You I think that song is amazing
1: Wait a minute man. You mispronounced Wait for all the information Before you turn me away oh, Wait a minute, sir You kind
2: of hurt my feelings You see me as a sweet back lord And that you got milk to get a taste like Do oh, oh, oh.
1: okay, that song um, that The, so the riff
2: on the chorus There's like a riff underneath the 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 lyrics which uh, it's just so so good um and yeah there's the um the lyrics about that that's i think that's about um probably a a canadian like label figure um you know probably meeting with with her you know when she was a teenager um trying to get a label uh, trying to get a record deal or whatever and um there's the the line about um taking a, a long hard look at her ass and going to play golf for a while mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is yeah. such a good line um <clears throat> yeah also um all i really want well that was a single right all i it really was, want was like yeah. kind of like probably the most the least successful of the six yeah. singles yeah good song yeah good song. totally great opener and uh yeah, yeah. And I think Head Over Feet, which is also definitely a single, is uh, mm-hmm. really stood out as just a great song. Synth bass, baby. Synth yeah. bass? Yeah. Uh, uh, key change chorus. Oh, nice. There yeah. was
1: lots of synth bass on the album. I was really yeah. surprised by that. Is
2: there, synth, is there synth bass? Well, I guess we'll get to Hand in My Pocket, but that's synth bass too, right? Uh, the bass playing is
0: definitely extremely simple.
1: I questioned, I have a note asking uh, like wondering if the uh, the bass on hand in my pocket if anything
0: it is just whole notes there are no fills Mm. no nothing like that
1: Mm. um can i al before you um yeah yeah give your spiel i just want to say something that i uh that stuck out to me on the album um I think on a few songs this happens, but particularly, uh particularly All I Really Want and um Hand in My Pocket, the guitar playing is awesome. I love that like um I don't know how to describe it, uh, but like this like flowing, like shimmering, kind of like noodly,
0: almost like folk style guitar. You playing? said one hand in my pocket and what other song? Uh, the
1: opener, all I really want.
0: And yeah, both of those songs have a a mild drone going on in the guitar parts.
1: Well, it's like full, it's like almost like folk style playing, like fingerpicked, like distorted like the birds guitar. or
2: something, like kind arpeggios of, where they're ringing out, like sustained. I'm not know. quite to the the. That point yeah. yeah that, I, point. I would you know also
0: point out that you know the, the chords of those two songs Are pretty much the same So those two songs are composed In very similar ways The guitar is all playing In the major scale of the root chord And then it goes So if the root is dun, Then the chords go dun, dun, dun. Mm. They does that in bo- both of those songs And um That always works really well with sort of like a droning, um, Hmm. one chord feel. There's definitely a similarity between those two.
1: I really, uh, I just love the guitar playing on those two songs. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really like those two songs. (laughs) I gotta say, one of my very first notes about the album is there, there are six singles... I like five out of the six singles we'll we'll have to talk about that more later on then my my notes say not a single album track worth revisiting oh yeah Ew. you Ew. all are encouraging me to maybe be a little more gentle to see right through you and perfect but i i do not like the the songs that are not i it's quite an accomplishment to have six hit singles on an album definitely but i don't like any of the other songs on this album and i owned it when i was a kid oh yeah my i i
2: couldn't own it my mom wouldn't let me because of the f word oh yeah right i mean like that was kind of a thing like i mean it was like the I, i can't remember a lot of like hit singles that were this vulgar yeah, yeah, she vulgar. sings about it's not vulgar, but you know, I mean, like for a you know seventh, eighth grade kid, blowjobs
1: like, in the theater lot. and 69ing yeah. and
0: it's a it, yeah. really curious mix in terms of the way that it charted let's see the other singles we'll talk about hand in my pocket. That's a number one on the alternative chart. And ironic is a number one on the alternative chart and a number one on the pop chart. Mm -hmm. That might be a first for us. It was such a massive song. It was, yes, it was, um, a couple of other singles that we've maybe mentioned a little bit. Um, all I really want, Peaked at number 14 on the alternative chart. Never never charted on the pop chart. That is, I think, for me personally, that's my favorite song on this album. Mm. It has that really winning combo of guitars and drum machine and harmonica. Um, and uh, It's pretty intense and also lots of pop hooks.
2: Neat parallel um, that... Alanis's The First Song on Jagged Little Pill is All I Really Want, and The First Song
0: on Blue by Joni Mitchell is All I Want.
1: Hmm.
0: Interesting. I always kind of... Like, oh, that's really... That I actually very specifically read some criticism that Joni Mitchell had of Alanis Morissette in preparation really? for this episode. Yeah. Joni Joni does not like much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Joni seemed to think that this was assembly line pop. Yeah. I'm not supposed um, to hear that. So... You Learn was a number one pop hit, um, not a number one alternative hit. And uh, that one has definitely a music video that received a fair amount of attention. The thing that I was struck by going back to this was um, you know, I like Head Over Feet. It was a number seven on the alternative charts and a number one on the pop charts. So there are three number one pop albums, pop songs on this album. Um, again, I didn't watch these music videos when I was a kid. I had never seen the head over feet music video and I was floored hmm. by that oh. video. Do either of oh. you remember that video? Absolutely. So it's basically, um, it's, uh, uh, it appears to be a single shot. I saw one place where it perhaps could have, could have been edited into multiple shots. Um. It is. Alanis's face if you've never seen it or you don't remember it and she sings along with a lot of the song but then there are certain lines where she sits out and she has a sort of a natural expression that altogether the impression that I got from it was like this is basically what it would be like for an artist to be to get on camera and to be told hey lip sync along with the song and where you're not feeling it or you're not comfortable with it or where you want us to edit it in later just take a break and that's like basically Mm -hmm. what the video is it's like a take of her being totally natural singing along where she feels like it and then just at points just not singing along with the song scratching her face running her hand through her hair and um It's just like, it's mesmerizing. I I feel like you get such a strong sense of her personality and you get a real, also a really strong sense of the artifice that goes into even making just like the simplest music video. Um, I was like moved by it.
2: Mm. That's great. That's awesome. That's a great point. I did not watch that video in preparation for this episode. But I know what you're talking about. And I did watch a video um, on that note um, of an unedited MTV news interview with her from 1995 when, um, you know, they were just asking her questions. It was, you know, it's a promotional thing. And um, she was just so level headed. I can't imagine being this confident and, and like mm. clear minded and sure of yourself from an artistic standpoint at 21 yeah and there's this moment where she's talking she's answering this question and giving these really thoughtful answers and like her hair like a strand of hair goes into her mouth or her face or something like that and the staff member member like interrupts her while she's talking and is like uh you got some hair in your face and she's like what are you doing like I I don't care about that (laughs) I mean she's very like but at the same time she's not not at all rude not at Uh all like she doesn't lose her cool she's just like it's not really an issue I'm I'm talking about you know the album I'm talking about my work here and um, I was just I was really impressed by that by how Mm -hmm. just her whole presentation she was she was very clear about who she was at such a young age that was so cool
0: I watched an interview with her more recently with uh some kind of a critic from the new york times um and got the same impression she was just so level headed and it's interesting to hear her talk about you know as she probably will have to talk for the rest of her career just to talk about jagged little pill um for me to think if I had borne my my most vulnerable inner thoughts at twenty one and then those thoughts had been, you know, marketed and sold to millions and millions of people. Um, I would feel so squeamish about that. And I think she does, mildly. But her whole way of conversing about it and reflecting on it seems really mature and, uh, and level-headed and modest and... Uh, yeah, she seems like she's she's turned out to be a pretty cool person.
2: Especially for essentially being this showbiz kid, right? Mm, I mean, like she's, for sure. she's doing, doing TV shows when she's like a a teenager and doing these pop albums and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I like, mean,
0: by all accounts, you know, raised in showbiz the same way that like a Justin Timberlake or uh, a Britney Spears or a Christina yeah. Aguilera was.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, my wife, Sarah had tickets to see Alanis with, uh, Liz fair. Um, that was supposed to be, oh, yeah. I think next month and, uh, well, July, um, I'm trying to think of when this episode might be airing actually, uh- July of 2020. <laughs> and, uh, I, Sarah was telling me that it was, um, uh, officially postponed to 2021, um, and her and her friend that she was gonna go with decided to hold on to their tickets because they really want to go and um kind of a bummer <laughs> yeah dude I forgot about out. that
2: tour at this point I would like scramble for tickets to go see them yeah,
1: yeah I would i yeah right now I would definitely be very interested
2: yeah 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 <laughs>
0: This album had a very complicated critical reception, and I want to delve into that and hear what your responses are to it. Um, so first, I want to read something more contemporary, but it'll get at some of the responses from the time period. This is from uh, once again this author named Adam Caress, who I think we've we've. Torn his writings apart multiple times on the podcast, but uh, I want to hear your responses to this. I'm going to read kind of a lengthy passage here. From start to finish, Alanis Morissette's development as an artist had followed the old pop developmental model rather than the rock model. As with any music made under the pop model, the extensive involvement of industry insiders in Jagged Little Pills' conception and creation meant that it was impossible to determine how much of Morissette's music and image was the result of her individual artistic vision, and how much was the calculated result of corporate formulas and market research. This fact contributed to widespread critical skepticism, even among the album's greatest champions. For example, when Rolling Stone included Jagged Little Pill in its decade-end list of the 100 best albums of the 90s, they seemed to almost resent having to do so, saying, "...proof that the gods of rock are unfair bastards. A former TV Moppet from the not-so-dirty North hooks up with Wilson Phillips' producer and makes an opportunistic angst rock platter that not only sells 13 million copies, it doesn't suck." Rolling Stone's backhanded compliments echoed the assessments of numerous reviewers including critic Robert Christgau's assessment of the album, which concluded, privileged phonies have identity problems too, not to mention man problems. Uh, I'm going to stop there, (laughs) but it seems that Alanis Morissette's authenticity is under attack by the critics here, that the, the corporate music biz machinery is interfering with pure art. Yeah. What do you think of that perspective?
2: Uh it sucks. And (laughs) (laughs) I mean clearly, right? Like I'm not gonna defend like nobody would defend that at this point, right? And I mean like it sucks. It it sucks that it it was that these were the voices that we were like reading for so long. And it Mm -hmm. took, you know, this uh a recent push of just sort of like i don't know empathy of like learning about other people's perspectives and things like that um to to kind of understand that
1: it's hard to wrap your brain around uh just that negative of a perspective on any person's writing or art let alone that of uh um you know, uh, uh, the rare like woman in rock music, like I don't know, uh, like you said, Travis, there's no way that that kind of, um, opinion would fly right now, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a shit opinion. I mean, and with authenticity, like that's not really something that I care about or follow. Like I. I don't know. Like I to a degree I guess it matters to me, but like I'm definitely someone who cares about the music more than anything. And like for all I know, like how many bands or artists do I listen to that aren't authentic? Um I don't know. I, but yeah, to like for that to be something that's on trial um by a bunch of like white male writers. Um at a time when women were not heavily represented in rock music alternative rock music it's just like kind of embarrassing and disgusting
2: i think that also yeah you're right and i think that at a younger age i would have been influenced by this too i would have read this and and seen it and been like yeah
0: when I read yeah. this, I thought, I, I remember times when maybe the three of us would have had a conversation when, when this would have been our perspective. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, even a right. sort even of like, tourist bias. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Yeah. But I mean, Rolling Stone has always done this. Again, going back to Joni, like they used to like, they wrote an article about all the people Joni Mitchell slept with in the seventies. And that was their thing. Like after um, Hissing of Summer Lawns, which is like brilliant beyond mm-hmm. you know anything that you know was being done at the time um, and and they just wanted to talk about who she's sleeping with mm-hmm. and just undermining mm-hmm. uh, women who are like these really strong powerful artists and um, and it seems like that's kind of what they're doing here
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, because this this album one we've covered it it's really good mm-hmm. we all you know seem to really like it and um they wanted to create this narrative that she's um, you know, a pop star who's trying on a different you know kind of costume to to you know a post nirvana alternative costume to to sell records think
1: thinking about that um, Rolling Stone. You said it was Rolling Stones, uh, like hundred albums of the like best one hundred of the nineties, right? Yeah, like that blurb, um, that like really passive aggressive, uh, dismissive, like it's almost like they're mad at her for like calling out this culture,
0: you know? Like, don't you think? Like, or succeeding within their constraints? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the thing that I always think about, um, you know, they talk about Alanis Morissette being part of artist development within the pop model, you know, rather than, uh, you know, rockers organically forming their material Mm -hmm. on the, you know, in the touring circuit. And I always think about, like, Okay, if you're going to really level this accusation, you got to be willing to level it against the Temptations Mm -hmm. and the Supremes and not just Motown, but I mean, go down south, go to Stax Records. You got to be willing to level this against Isaac Hayes and Otis Redding. I mean, you got to be willing to go to war with a massive, massive component of the pop industry, if you're going to say that this idea of like a label developing talent or pairing songwriters strategically with singers, um, you know, strategically choosing the right material or the right image from an artist, um, if you're going to say that's all artifice and, and worthless, um, um, you better be prepared to tear down a lot of the the pop music and rock music mm-hmm. establishment, including things like Elvis Presley and like, mm. and it's all junk. I, I I get very impatient about this idea of authenticity. Um, so yeah, agreed. Yeah, the the, the criticism seems super unfair to me.
2: And I I guess I always wanted to like. I've always been a little bit skeptical of Glenn Ballard's role in all of this, mm-hmm. um, because it seems like anytime you'd read something about this album, you would read about Glenn Ballard. Um, which is, I, I've always kind of been like, are, are people implying that he deserves more <laughs> credit for this album? Um, just because he's the, um, you know, he's the producer, he's the, uh, experienced man in the, in the room, basically. But from everything I could tell from this, um, it seems like Alanis really like has a lot of affection for him, and
1: mm-hmm. he
2: didn't seem to step on her toes a lot, and um, they had a really good working relationship. I think they maybe like, worked on two or three songs together from the album, and, um, and from that point forward... She kind of picked up the direction and just decided I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to work on these songs. And he gave her the room and and they had a really good working relationship. So um, I I was kind of, um, you know, it was refreshing to kind of see that their relationship was was as positive as it seemed
0: as, as I as you would hope it would be, I guess. Well, should we move on to the charts? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Number one on the mainstream rock chart is still December by Collective Soul. Doing well. Um, Number one on the pop charts is Waterfalls by TLC. Any Mm -hmm. memories, reflections, opinions about that song?
1: Cool music video, right? Uh, um, Yeah. I think that I didn't care for the song as a kid, and... Turns out it's a pretty sweet song.
2: I think all the the singles from Crazy Sexy Cool were pretty
1: Pretty good. good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What is the one that was super awesome? There's
2: Red Light Special. There's Creep. There's um, Creep.
0: Creep is um, awesome. Digging on You, Mm. which was pretty good. Anything on the modern rock chart? Stars by Hum,
1: I think, uh, jumped all the way up to number 11 here. That's pretty Uh cool. I it's like we're, we were 10 away from maybe eventually talking about hum, 10, 10 spots away mm-hmm. from having a hum episode, which I would have loved.
2: Um, there is one gem on the charts this week that I really love. It's called Somebody's Crying by Chris Isaac. Mm. It is, I think, about a two-minute song, and it is perfect. Oh, it's it's, that's
1: not the famous Chris Isaac song?
2: Um, no it's not um uh wicked game yeah okay no there's this is the album after it i believe mm. and it is it's so good mm. i would recommend it to both of you
0: i think i think you'd both really like it okay yeah i don't know i'm not familiar with that Dre-
1: one. dreamy moody uh like surf ballads yeah kind of yeah isn't it so weird that like <clears throat> he was in firewalk with me but like yeah his music is kind of like Angelo Badalamenti style music, kind of. Right? Or yeah. Roy
0: Orbison-style music, yeah. which is also heavily associated with David Lynch. Yeah. yeah. And he's
2: got that, that look, that mm-hmm. 50s kind of mm-hmm. greaser yeah. look.
1: Yeah. What was um, his name? Chester uh, something? Chester Desmond, baby. Chester
2: Desmond. Yeah.
0: That's great. Two things that I would point out. A seemingly minor single from Tuesday Night Music Club, but can't cry anymore by Cheryl Crow might be my favorite Cheryl Crow single. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: very simple, another song that is merging some kind of like Americana, um, simple pop with a a creative drum machine sample, and um, I really like that song a lot. And I'm gonna maybe anger you all. But I am pretty affectionate about these singles from the first Foo Fighters album. This is a call is that number four and uh I like that song a fair amount
1: Travis, I feel like you like this album like i do oh I you do, do. i the i first, said did the
2: first fooight no the first, first foo Fighters album is it's fine oh, so
1: you yeah. like the one that was all Dave Grohl. You like the one that was like entirely made by Dave Grohl. He <laughs> next. <played> F- <laughs> Moving on.
0: <laughs> this is a call, and Big Me are both. They, they capture the flavor of the nineties. I, like really I like Big I'll Me. I'll stick around. I like stick Around is yeah. really good too. Yeah, yeah man, absolutely. We
1: got accounts. a real Dave Grohl yeah. fan in the room here. All right, all, all
0: right, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's rate. Yeah, you ought to know.
1: I'm gonna let someone else go first this time.
2: I'll go first. Um, man, this song rocks, as stated <laughs> before. I give it 4.25 cross-eyed bears. Oh, <laughs>
0: shit. <laughs> I have the same unit written oh, down. Oh, awesome! <laughs> Did you hear that as a kid? I didn't. Oh, yes, familiar absolutely. With the idiom cross. I'd bear. I yeah. heard Cross-Eyed Bears. They're, they're Cross-Eyed Bears. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> uh, I gave it 4.5 Cross-Eyed Bears. Oh, yeah.
1: Sorry, guys. Uh, as I stated, this is not my favorite song on the album. Um, so I'm giving it... It's still... I'm not giving it a terrible rating. I'm giving it 3.5. Mister's Duplicity. Um. <laughs> and I just... I'm going to say... Uh the other two Alana songs we'll be covering will be r- rated pretty highly. Um, okay, I was just all right. So really this is not excited. a Hall of Famer. This, I don't not, think it's not gonna make. I it. don't think this will make a Hall of Fame. Make the Hall of Fame. It'll be close. No. Uh but yeah, it's uh yeah, it's like uh just not the song for me on an album that I turned out to really like, and and all five of the other singles I loved. Um, sure so I'm very very excited about this album right now very excited to to cover the other songs uh, in the near future all right uh, d- is it a Nirvana wannabe do you think
0: no not even slightly yeah, in fact agreed. I think it goes so strongly against the narrative that this is an era of Nirvana wannabes
1: I think that that is the case for most of the songs we're covering at I- and I think you will agree.
0: Like, I think, yeah. All right. Tell me all your thoughts on Pod is part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, Best Song Ever. Email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Email us a question, and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience. Or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. If you send comments as a voice memo, we'd love to include them at the end of the show. Listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. You can also join our Facebook group, Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. Next week, we'll be talking about JAR, which stands for Just About Ready to Stop Talking About Green Day.